Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 458. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers has supported Slow Flowers as a sponsor for the past three years, which I believe is a reflection of our mutual values and goals of expanding domestic flower farming as a profession. Over the years, I've interviewed many ASCFG members who are also Slow Flowers members, bringing their inspiring and informative stories to you. For 2020, I have made it a goal to host ASCFG's leadership on the Slow Flowers podcast, highlighting the organization's many regional directors across North America. In March, you heard from Aaron McMullen, co-owner of Raindrop Farm and ASCFG's West and Northwest Regional Director. In April, Janice Harris of Harris Flower Farm, ASCFG's Canadian Regional Director, joined us on the podcast. And this week, I'm happy to introduce you to Val Shermer of Three Toads Farm, based in Winchester, Kentucky. She's the Southeast Regional Director for ASCFG, representing members in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, North and South Carolinas, and Tennessee. Here's a bit more about Three Toads Farm. The three toads of this established specialty cut flower farm and fine floral design studio include longtime friends and business partners, Val Shermer and Charlie Hendricks, and Elizabeth Hendricks, Charlie's daughter. Three Toads Farm is most known for its year-round greenhouse production of show-stopping oriental lilies. The farm also produces huge pollenless sunflowers, varieties of celosia, lisianthus, unique forced spring bulbs, amaryllis, French and parrot tulips, ranunculus, English sweet peas, and a farmer's market favorite, bouquets of colorful zinnias nestled in lemon basil. Each spring and fall, Three Toads Farm hosts a lily bulb sale, encouraging customers in their community to grow their own lilies. You can find Three Toads Farm at the Saturday Farmer's Market in Lexington and on select days at the market's Tuesday and Thursday location. Three Toads Farm offers seasonal bud vase deliveries to restaurants, and local businesses and private customers can also subscribe bi-weekly for deliveries or shop at the greenhouse by appointment. For more than six years, flower lovers have enjoyed on-the-farm workshops, which invite them to tour Three Toads' fields and greenhouse and make an arrangement with just picked blooms. 
And as you'll hear us discuss, for the holidays, Three Toads Farm grows potted amaryllis from jumbo-sized bulbs, which are available by special order. In 2015, Three Toads Farm was named one of the top farmer florist wedding designers in the U.S. by Martha Stewart Weddings. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode 458 to see photos of Val Shermer, Three Toads Farms, and her famous bulb gardens, and more. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to introduce Val Shermer of Three Toads Farm. Hi, Val. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for joining me. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Thank you very much for giving me the chance. Oh, you bet. And um, this is sort of a series that's not... It's kind of going on all year long. I don't have it like on a recurring specific week, but I'm trying to make the rounds of all the directors of the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, ASCFG, uh, just to kind of hear what's going on uh, in every region of North America. So Val, you're a director, and can you tell everyone where you're located and kind of what what that region is, just just to put you on a map so people can picture you? Sure. Uh, I am director of the Southeast region, and I'm actually based in Lexington, Kentucky. And the Southeast region goes from Florida, Mississippi, Georgia, up through Tennessee, Kentucky, um, and then over into the Carolinas. Hmm. So it's a it's a pretty broad group um, when you think about growing zones. Too. Yeah, I was going to say you all. There's multiple USDA zones in that corner of the country. So. Right. It's, uh, there's some similarities, I'm sure, but not, you know, maybe in, right. I don't know, how early things come on or what the humidity issues are, but we'll talk about that a little bit. I first want to start out with um, asking you about Three Toads Farm. I love the name. I follow your <laughs> blog and your Instagram, so I see some of your flowers, but I don't know much more about, uh, like, the scope of your business. Can you give us a snapshot? Sure. Um, Three Toads Farm is the na- is what we named our little snapshot of heaven when we <laughs> moved here to the farm. And we're about, oh, 20 minutes outside of Lexington, Kentucky. But it really feels like you're in the, con- in, you know, you're in the country. Mm-hmm. And we sort of describe it as a small batch, especially cut flower farm, uh, because we are, you know, right here in bourbon country. Mm. And that <laughs> sort of describes what we do, because we are not huge by any means, but we are small and we really try to specialize in growing just really great things. Small batch kind of relates to how bourbon is described. Is that what you meant? Yes. Yep. I would assume artisan is also in that description somewhere in terms of how you approach your flowers. I think, I think that's a, that's a good point too. And, and actually I've always had the feeling that, um, since I've moved here that I think that a little Kentucky bourbon is kind of the driving force behind some really far-fetched, crazy ideas. <laughs> and so, like, when we got started, I, had, I came up with this idea that I wanted to have this little flower farm, and I wanted to have a good friend of ours who was just retiring from the fire department to be my growing partner. And so he and his wife are good friends of ours, had him over here on our big country porch um, one summer day in, I guess, 97, and kept keeping his bourbon glass full until he just agreed to, you know, do this crazy thing with me. What, and is he still a partner in the business? Yes. Yes, he is. Um, What's his name? 
His name is Charlie Hendricks. Okay. And, uh, yep. And we started off, um, I wanted to grow oriental lilies, because uh, I'd seen them up at White Flower Farm up in Connecticut, and I had fallen in love with them, and I just didn't really see them, and I sort of scoped it out. So I had this plan. I wanted him to do that with me as a sideline for both of us. And, um, and he, you know, I gave him enough bourbon and he you know, went along with it. <laughs> but Val, did you say late nineties? This has been going on a while then, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we have, we've been doing this for a while, but I'm, I'm, I'm an old person. And so is he. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason but I asked, was... yeah, the reason I asked about that date is that you're kind of, uh, like, yeah, the OG flower farmer, like before there was a term like farmer florist or sus- local flowers or sustainable flowers, you were growing flowers just that you had simply fallen in love with and you had land. That's, you know, that's exactly right, because Farmer Florist was a long ways down the road, even Flower Farmer. I mean, I just wanted to grow flowers, and I wanted to sell them at the Lexington Farmer's Market. That was my, that was the thing I had in mind. And so, you know, we gave that a shot, and we were really, really terrible for two years, because I over ten, I can overthink things, and growing lilies is not hard, but I can, I definitely overthought it, and we were not very successful and so then after a couple of years, we actually did get another partner to help grow. And then there were three totes in three totes farm. <laughs> and how much acreage yeah. are you growing on? We grow on, we think we grow on probably two and a half acres total. Uh, our farm is five and a half acres. And then about five miles down the road, uh, we have the two production greenhouses where we grow lilies year round in them. And then we also have an outdoor field there too. So we're not, it, it is, it is not you know, very, it's not large. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to me that you started with one, like, sort of signature flower, and now you're Mm -hmm. very diversified. And uh, maybe you could, and then you talked about having greenhouses. So, like, what is your first crop of the season, and how, what do you, what is your last crop of the season? How do you go through the year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, We, okay, so we grow the Oriental Lilies in the two production greenhouses, and they're um, Lexan enclosed uh, greenhouses Mm -hmm. we got from Stumpy, you know, years ago. Um, And we grow there year-round. We grow outside in the summer. We grow, I'm really big on forcing uh, bulbs, Mm -hmm. both uh, spring bulbs and then also holiday bulbs, amaryllis and paper whites. And so those take up a big part of... um, you know, a time when most flower farmers wouldn't be getting any money. Right. And that's what I'm actually trying to get more growers involved in because I think there's a real opportunity there. But um, uh, so we really start off in the spring then with our spring, uh, the spring bulbs that mm-hmm. we force. I force them in six packs in the cooler and then make um, spring bulb gardens out of them. And then we, from there, we move right into peonies. So let me just ask you a quick question about the spring bulb gardens. When you say six packs, are these like planted um, like uh, saucers that people would, would buy for their backyard deck, that kind of thing? Or when you say bulb gardens, I wasn't sure what you meant by that. Yeah. So they're, they're actually tabletop bulb gardens. Mm. And so the spring bulbs that I force are ones that would be shorter, that would typically bloom about the same time, like early spring. And so I grow them in in six packs, you know, one bulb per six pack. Right. I do 6,000 bulbs a year in the cooler. Yeah. And then you can pop them right out of those six packs and put them into any kind of a container, you know, 
fancy, large, small. I mean, they can be really big ones. And you can enjoy it indoors, and then you can plant them outside you know, after they're done blooming. Wow, that's amazing. It's, I, really, it's really popular. So you really have a love affair with bulb flowers. That's not the only thing you do, but you're kind of following your way yeah. through the year as depending on the variety. That's true, yeah. I did see on your, uh, maybe on your Instagram feed or some, somewhere over the last few years, it's caught my attention that you have a robust paper whites and amaryllis uh, winter program. And um, you're right. Not a lot of flower farmers try to occupy right. that, that time of the calendar. It's, it sounds like you've really figured out what works for you in terms of that system. Is it mainly you plant like in October or so or November and then sell December and January or how does, what, how does that work? That's great questions because really if people want to get amaryllis now for the holidays, your only choice is pretty much big box stores mm. because it's, it's really hard to find them. You know, some specialty nurseries would have them, but it, it's really hard to find them. Um, and what I do then is I order amaryllis from the Southern hemisphere as well as the Dutch ones. Mm. And I get, and one of the secrets to our success is, and it started really, is we get the biggest bulbs commercially available. Because the bigger the bulb, the bigger the show. And most people will never invest in buying bulbs like that and then bringing them along. But it's worked for us with lilies. I mean, we sell our lilies at the farmer's market for 7 to $9 a stem. Wow. And so that's, yeah, that's, but they, and they are phenomenal. So the same thing with amaryllis. Um, I have my order in now, as a matter of fact, for amaryllis. And then they will start arriving in October and November. And so, and they're great big bulbs. Um, I get. 36 centimeter bulbs. Um, And I found out from my supplier that that's like the top 2% size of bulbs in the world, which is why they're hard to find. But um, so I get those and I sell them as loose bulbs. You know, people always want to buy their own bulbs. And so those will be the Dutch ones because Mm. they'll be dormant. And the ones from the Southern Hemisphere, I go ahead and I pot up in six inch pots. I get them going and then I pop them out of the pots and put like three to five of them in a container with moss. Oh, and then wow. they've got big buds, and I sell them that way. Uh, and you're right. The, the show is going to uh, yeah. justify the retail price. Yes. Yeah. It. it um, I, I sold out this past year by the middle of December, and I had doubled the amount of amaryllis that I bought. Last year I got like 450, and I thought – I am insane because they're expensive. <laughs> right. And I thought, what am I going to do with this? But it was, we do a workshop showing people how to work with them. They get to, you know, take home their own bulb gardens. We show them how to do the spring bulbs and they make a layered spring bulb garden. So um, mm. if you can show people what you're doing and help them understand it and show them how to do it, it's, uh, you can sell a lot of bulbs. Plus, I like that you're offering different options for people from the single amaryllis bulb that they can take home and yeah. plant themselves to the workshop to the finished like masterpiece that's going to go on yeah. their their entry table. Um, it's so smart. Val. Yeah. That's really neat. Where can I ask you? You mentioned you made a little comment about your lilies selling for seven dollars a stem at the farmers market, and and I'm assuming those are just mul- multiple buds per stem, and that's why they're you know, so coveted. Um, but then you had said earlier that you did, you were not successful at the farmer's market. So have you like returned and <laughs> rethought farmer's markets or is, did I misunderstand that? 
Oh, we have been um, at the farmer's market since 1998. Oh. And so I mean, we started taking our lilies there. And we what was so funny with these lilies, because I wouldn't cut them. I only cut them like on six inch stems because I wanted to keep the bulb <laughs> and I wanted to keep all the leaves on the bulb. And I quickly learned that was a really dumb idea. <laughs> you know, just cut them long and you can sell them for more. But um Yep. So we've been, uh, we've been at the farmer's market. We've been the, uh, like the high end, um, we worked hard on our reputation mm-hmm. on our brand, but we've been the high end, uh, uh, flower grower at the farmer's market really for a really, really long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and so while Charlie, my partner loves the market, he continues to go since I, um, I had retired in like 2012 and then I decided, I don't think I'm going to do the market that much anymore. Cause I think I'm too old to spend my Saturdays. Right. And so, uh, yep. Yeah, so he's, he, he's the one that loves the market. So there are three of us behind three toads farm and we all kind of do, um, you know, something a little bit different. And so it's nice having partners. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Charlie's yeah, the guy so- who's like going to go spend all day Saturday having fun, seeing the regulars and yeah. talking to people. Yeah. And then yeah. who is your other partner? And then Elizabeth Hendricks is Charlie's daughter. And so she was with us the very first time we ever sold at the farmer's market in 98. She was 11. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so she has loved the flower farming and she's been around it off and on most of her whole life. But she came back in because um, she was living out of state. And then she came back, I think maybe 2014 and has been full time since then. She does all of the weddings and events. So anything that you see on our, on our social media, our website related to weddings and events, she is the genius behind that. And I like to say also, I think she's the reason that Martha Stewart named us one of the top 10 farmer floors in the country a few years ago. I too, remember that. Just seeing Elizabeth's work. Wow. Yeah. And so then, having three heads <laughs> together is good. And then where does Val land in the, in the, the responsibilities? <laughs> You're kind of uh, the overall vision for the company. I think I, yeah, I, I think I'm, I am the bossiest. <laughs> um, are you a firstborn? Been... Are you the firstborn daughter? Yes, ma'am. I am, I am too. <laughs> I knew that about you. I instinctively. <laughs> I love yeah. It. Yeah. So when I had this idea to do this flower farming thing and then I, um, and then I had the two guys as my partner. So I had a retired fireman, a retired automotive boat tech instructor. I thought I knew everything. And, um, turned out they had pretty good ideas too. And, um, along the way I learned to listen to, mm-hmm. you know, my partners because they come from a different perspective and they just make us that much better. But so I'm the one that really though, I like to go, I like to see, I like to try new things. I mean, I love being involved in the AFCFG. I joined that in 2000, mm-hmm. um, you know, after we'd struggled for a couple of years and that first conference was at the Arnoskis in uh, Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. That must have opened your eyes. Yeah. Oh, because I thought if they can grow flowers here, we can grow them in Kentucky for sure. Wow. That but that taught me cool. about branding too mm-hmm. and about people knowing who they're buying from. And that I think has made all the difference. So that's, you know, that's kind of my role. I grow for florists. I grow for designers. I do the workshops um, with Elizabeth. The, the two of us generally do all of those. Um, I go to lots of things and then I'm on, you know, I'm a regional director of the yes, Flower Growers Association, yeah. which takes um, a lot of time, but it's, it's, 
it's a fabulous experience. Well, it, you're a leader in the, you know, the profession that you care about. And I'm, I mean, I've just, I've been an ASTFG you know, member on and off since 2010. And what I see the most value in membership is the mentorship and the, the sharing and the openness and the kind of the knowledge transfer that seems to take place anytime people get together in that organization. And um, some of that you're doing virtually now, but tell, tell me a little bit more <laughs> about what's going on in the region. Oh, in the region. Well, um, we have, uh, you know, we're in interesting times. Yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, I think back to, you know, we came off of like a record, I mean, us personally, Three Toads Farm, a record holiday sales with all the amaryllis. The right. spring bulbs were going out of the roof crazy. I mean, our workshops were oversold, even though we added to them. And so that was February. And then in March, you know, everything started. Uh, we do an antique and garden show here where I force all the bulbs for. And it was really good for us, but it was kind of slow. And I thought, hmm, this there's stuff going on here. And then... Um, when I was checking in with the region to write my the current quarterly article that's right. going to appear in the next couple of hour quarterly, I like to send a note out to the region about asking them about something mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I love to listen to them. I think it helps build community and plus share best practices. Right. And so what I did for this one was uh, I sent a note out and I sent for two things. I said, how are you surviving these times and what are you doing differently and how's it going? Mm. Because I didn't know, I mean, for us, we had had a record warm March. It was so crazy warm. And then we had really, really cold April and May. I mean, we had late freezes. It was, oh. but our peony sales were through the roof. And um, because we started doing contact-free pickup, either here from the farm or else we would deliver. And so I sent out the note to all the region and got tons of response. But, um, and I can give, give you a re recap of what they were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. If you'd like, sure. So um, the main thing was in March, for everyone, it was sheer panic. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like we all know, you know, the fear and uncertainty that came across every email, every text I got, weddings and events were postponed or canceled or downsized. And I was surprised at the number of members that we have whose livelihood really depends on that. Farmers markets were closed, mm -hmm. floors and designers were canceling, you know, everybody was afraid to go out. Um, so that growing and selling as each flower farmer and farmer floors had known it or had, you know, some of our members aren't even doing it yet, but they were dreaming about it. And so that was all completely going away and everybody was really scared. But what they did was they started adapting and trying new things. Yep. Um, and from the feedback that I got, uh, well, I'll read one of them. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Because I think it kind of summarizes. And this is from a grower, this is Martha White, who's actually in Kentucky. She said, in early March, I thought, oh, crap, we're screwed. Now, and she said, now we're selling every stick or stem we have. No weddings, no farmer's market, but as little waste as I've ever experienced. I'm almost embarrassed at how well things are going. And this, despite two, two killing late freezes and a local farmer who herbicide damaged our peony crop. Mm. But we still made more on our crop this spring than ever before. Wow. And that's what I have heard back from, you know, in, in various tones from everybody. 
they say that it pushed them to do things with their business they've been putting off for months and even years. You know, some of them that were just kind of building their foundation have spent time researching, talking with other people, building structures, building, you know, high tunnels, building uh, raised beds, building greenhouses and all that. They, you know, they started doing contactless, contactless (laughs) porch deliveries. Right. And, and Mother's Day yep. was sell out bonkers, crazy records for just about everybody. I've heard that every conversation I've had. And it just, there's something deep and visceral about the hunger customers have, or just humans have, yeah. for wanting local flowers. It's it's crazy. And I'm glad that that was your experience or the region's experience, too. Um I hear a little bit of a worry sometimes from people just in the last few weeks, like, oh, Mother's Day was so great. Can this be sustained? Like, will people run out of money to buy flowers? And I don't know what the answer to that is. And I don't know if you've given that any thought, but, um, you know, so far I haven't yeah. sensed that. I haven't sensed it um, yet either. I'm going to do a follow-up email to the region, you know, later on summer so that we'll see, you know, what it's like going into fall. I mean, because who knows? I mean, we're in territory that nobody's ever been in before. Um, it's, I'm kind of, I'm kind of scared about what September might be like when weddings come back. And then we have people who are loving local flowers, but then we also have everybody that wants all of the wedding flowers too. You know, what's that going to be like at the time? And I think some of it, um, you know, I wonder how much we're going to go back to the way things were before. Because the what I heard from the members too is that like with their farmers markets, um, people have gone to now uh, pre-selling, right. and so the farmers markets, you know, you would you would already have everything sold. People drive up, you hand it to them, off they go, and so there's no waste. You know, right. they're not bringing everything that they had to the market, and then you've got flowers left over, too. But I think um, I sense from the region too that they're nervous about what's. Uh, going to be coming ahead because how good can it stay? You know, how much is this going to last? Um, right, right. I mean, this has been a uh, no un- unprecedented uh, pandemic that we're living yeah. in. And so everyone had to figure out what is their contingency plan. And now maybe that means everyone's a little bit more resilient for what whether there's so. an economic crisis or, you know, some other weather-related thing or just, you know, we're constantly living in a state of change, so it's really hard to predict. But I sense a, I sense a positive tone from what your members have told you, and I'm really encouraged by that. Absolutely. I only got one email of all of them that I was worried about. Mm. And it's from, a, it's from a fabulous grower and designer in Asheville. Mm. Um, right outside of there and her, she has so much of her business reliant on the weddings. And of course, Asheville is a destination wedding spot and tourist area. And otherwise there aren't as many people there, but she, um, had been shipping to Flores already. So she just pivoted to that. Uh Uh-huh. And she's also doing, um, she's with a company that's doing all the small weddings, like for elopements. Mm. And she thinks that's going to definitely stay that people maybe are going to rethink it and not do, not everybody's going to do these killer, crazy weddings, maybe. Yeah, I, I hear that too. In fact, um, Flores Review, who I'm an editor for, uh, our, pub- mm-hmm. our publisher announced 
I don't know, like six weeks ago that he was changing the theme of the August issue and it's going to be on intimate weddings. And I said, intimate is like a euphemism for micro or <laughs> super small <laughs> or elopement. And he's like, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is the new, the new th- trend. And maybe, I don't know. I, I've attended some weddings of friends of my, you know, do- children of my friends who are having 10, <laughs> 10 attendants. And I'm like, well, is that sustainable? Really? Uh, that's a lot of money. So, um, yeah, farm, but the farmers yeah. and the farmer florist will take, you know, will feel the pinch if weddings change. And so pivoting to other channels of business seems smart no matter what. I mean, don't have all your eggs in one basket. Right. The other thing I heard, um, from the, um, from some of the members is that, and this was from, um, Jennifer Logan at Whimsy Flower Farm in Georgia. She said, we've tripled our anemone and ranunculus order for this fall, added 6,000 tulips, and are putting in another 700 peonies based on the springtime interest we, re- mm. we received this year. That's great. So um, I think farmers are, are <laughs> so many of them, I mean, we're just optimists. Yeah. Yep. And also just uh, one of the things I've started saying lately, and mainly when I'm um, just trying to describe this whole Soulflowers movement and what is it, and ASCFG has, you know, been there way before I ever was, that I'm starting to see farmers as equal artists side by side with the florist. They're, they're the people who grow flowers are artists and the people who design with them are artists. And they're they're inter they're interdependent and of equal importance. And maybe that's reflective of consumer awareness as well. That's a great point. Um, and I think that that could be because when I started out, I was interested in growing, only growing. And then I have found myself drawn to, I go to a lot more workshops now on design and all that, because I want to see what the flowers are that people can work with and wh- how beautiful are the ones that come from mm-hmm. Amsterdam. And then I want to come back and maybe try to grow those too. And uh, I go to a lot more meetings. But like in, in your meetings, I mean, there are a lot, there are growers and there are designers and then there are people that are in between. Right. In fact, I think that's maybe the last time I saw you was at the Team Flower Conference. And um, yeah. that was very, I went to that as a guest thinking that it was, you know, very much about design. And so I walked in and saw you and I was like, oh, wow, this is, there's a crossover here. And, um, <laughs> you know, it makes, it makes a lot of sense for you to understand what the, you know, wedding and event florist mm-hmm. is looking for, because mm-hmm. you're going to, you're not going to grow the ordinary varieties of anything. You right. want to grow the, the boutique could, well, it's the word couture crops that um, right. you can get a decent price for. Yeah. And we know how they're used. Right. Absolutely. And the and palette, so- the palette is also important in that. Well, mm-hmm. working with Elizabeth, it's probably really fun to listen to the um, catalog perusal and seed ordering and bulb ordering conversations the two of you have um, <laughs> about what, what you're forecasting for the coming year. It's really interesting because, um, her, I mean, her dad grows for the farmer's market. And so if you take, for example, Lysianthus, and I grow for florists and designers. Mm. And so like last year, the Pantone color of the year, I'm all over that. Mm. I mean, I love those colors. I love the blushes. I love you know, some of the unusual things that sometimes at the farmer's market, people want bright. Yeah. They love those deep purple lisianthus, where I love 
I mean, right now I've got three varieties of whites growing because they're all so different <laughs> to me. Oh. Maybe not to some other people, but uh, and the other yeah, thing is, I feel so, like with Lysianthus, it's not, like I'm a home gardener, but I would never in my lifetime even know how to grow a Lysianthus in like my raised beds. It's not a flower that's really in the gardener palette, and I maybe it, I don't know. Is it because it is? Uh, kind of only been commercially available or um, that only sort of professional far- growers can successfully, re- you know, produce that flower? Right. Right. Well, I think uh, my opinion on that is with Lysianthus is that you can't grow it from seed. Mm. And so that, I mean, I, I had to do it last year as part of the seed trials when I participated. And I was like, this is exactly why we get plugs because it takes <laughs> you know four months to get a quarter of an inch tall. I mean, oh, it no. is excruciating. And then plus we net ours, mm. you know, in the field. And sure. last year I tried to not net. I was trying to just avoid that. And so I grew varieties that I thought I'd be successful not netting. I'm going back to netting this year because I want them to, to stand up straighter. Um, but you raise an interesting point because when I speak at, um, like to master gardeners here or right. at the Arboretum or something, what I'm doing is I'm talking about things that I grow that they can grow because they're not really aware of it. Right. Um, and so I talk that, uh, you know, like the queen lime series of, you know, Virginia's. I mm-hmm. talk about all the stuff they can grow in their yard and harvest. And then we sell uh, a bunch of our seedlings in six packs to home gardeners. And, and what's, and when I'm selling Lysianthus, I sell them a six pack, you know, they're in big, deep six packs that are hard to get, but I sell them that and I sell them for $18 for six plants. Wow. And no one's doing that in Seattle. That is so brilliant. Because people, now you've got to give them, you've got to have lots of pictures and you've got to show them because it's not like buying bedding plants where everything Mm -hmm. is going to be in bloom at six inches tall. And so you've got to be, you know, and so it's something that you've got to teach people. You've got to have great handouts and all that, but, um, it's, it's a, it's that's flower a, farmers. People want what we grow. <laughs> right. That's so why a, not let them have it? Yeah. That's a service because you're kind of doing the hardest part for them. And that's, mm-hmm. that's worth the price you're charging. Wow. That's cool. I wonder is just because of your zone, um, you're able to do that earlier than people in the Northern part of the U S or in Canada. Cause you have a, a oh. you said you had a pretty warm March. So things, Well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We had a really warm March, but then we had uh, two um, freezes that were in the 25 degree range in late April. I'm so glad you didn't lose your panties. Oh, uh, well, I lost, you know, the early ones, it pearls, everybody loves the ones that were in big bud. They made it through. It was the ones that were like the medium to later, later season ones that, it, it, it killed their butt, oh, which oh. is interesting. Yeah. That was I, interesting. I heard uh, Rita Jo Schultz comment recently that peonies can withstand down to 28 degrees or 29 degrees. So you are under that. And uh, so those, those, those younger, less, yeah. less mature ones took a hit. Wow. So yeah. What, so. what you're talking about with your customer base makes me want to ask you, like, what is the attitude about local flowers in Lexington or in Kentucky or, you know, sort of your marketplace? Is Have you had to 
since you were like such a pioneer, have you had to like bring people along with you or have you noticed a change? Um, I have noticed a change over the years with, because farmer's market, the thing there is that it's kind of like ongoing market research all the time. <laughs> right. You know, you can bring something like when I was growing Gloriosa lilies or something like that. And you can see if people like them or if they go like, Ick, I don't understand that. I don't want that. Um, but what I found the last few years is that it's the younger people who are just, um, I mean, who are so open mm-hmm. to, I mean, it's college students. Yeah. People in college will come and they will buy local and fresh flowers. Um, I've always wanted people to buy, you know, even if they buy at the grocery store, if they buy, first of all, flowers, Yeah. period, get flowers because, you know, you get used to having flowers around, then we'll get you used to local flowers and the difference that is. Um, uh, And I'm huge on wherever they buy them, buy them from the grocery store, wherever it is that you want to get them and surround yourself with flowers, get used to the flowers. When you start seeing local flowers, you will notice the difference between grocery store flowers and local flowers. Um, And and that's what I have found because even uh, dahlias, I mean, dahlias don't last as long as lilies. And so a lot of our long-term lily customers love it because, you know, they'll have lilies for two to three weeks. Right. Lizzie Anthus, same thing. Now, dahlia and a peony, you know, they're fleeting in a rose. But then it's kind of like put it where you enjoy it every day because it'll change every day and it's it's magic. Yeah. So, um, you know, once you get them hooked on that, it, there's no going back. That's cool. Wow. So it's uh, early June and um, some maybe some of the restrictions in terms of social distancing have been relaxed a little bit in your region. Can you just sort of talk about what you think the rest of the year will look like for you? I wish I had that crystal ball. <laughs> right. I knew. I mean, because, you know, the farmer's markets are opening up. Uh, people are, what I'm seeing is that people have gone so stir crazy that now they're just out in hordes, which is scary. Pretty terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not seeing, you know, masks because I even, um, when people come and pick up here from the porch, you know, I'm wearing a mask and I'm giving people masks because they don't have a mask to wear. Uh, but I'm seeing a lot, you know, I'm just, so I, I don't know if that means we're going to have another setback. You know, I think, you know, I don't know what the fall yeah. looks like. So yeah. I, I'm, we're all growing. Like we believe that there's going to be people wanting flowers. Um, and you might, I, you might have some of those, sounds like some of those summer, early summer weddings were possibly rescheduled for later in 2020 or were they all moved to 2021? Right. Um, both like in Elizabeth's case, cause Elizabeth handles all of the weddings. I mean, I'll grow for them, but I don't talk with a bride. I don't right. talk with anybody. And so she, um, uh, she's letting their deposits apply to whatever it is that they would like to do. Um, which, which helps them too. But some of them, she has a couple that are downsizing. Like she's got one, you know, this coming weekend. So she has a few downsized ones and then she has a few that have moved to fall. Most of them have moved till next year, but um, I think, I mean, unless we have a reoccurrence of of COVID in a big way, I think there's going to be a lot of weddings this fall. I've heard that universally. You might have to be prepared to, um, you know, double, triple up on some dates and 
it sounds like you you'll have the flowers for them. So that's that's really all you're concerned about is <laughs> supplying those the palette that and the recipe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I was terrified, like with the peonies, because I just you know we sell peonies, but most of them I because I have about 400 plants. You know, that's not that much in mm-hmm. terms of what some people have. Mm-hmm. And I buy all of the peonies from a nearby farm who I got growing about 20 years ago. And now, uh, and she's not interested in marketing or selling. She loves growing. So I buy 100% of their crop. Oh, wow. And so I was really nervous in March when I said, I want to buy your crop. And she's like, are you crazy? But um, when I posted on social media, like for Mother's Day, within 24 hours, it was sold out. I thought I would sell eight bouquets, something like that. I had two price points and I sold 400 peonies worth where I, and so every week I posted within 24 hours, it was sold out. So, um, I, That's you know, I don't really, know what that means for the future. Yeah. It's, I do think it's, it's the very mo- crazy exciting. Yeah. It's like the model is different and maybe the, the kind of pre-order, um, kind of like subscription model in a way, seasonal subscription, it's so much easier on the farmer because you have no shrink. You're selling what you, you cut what is ordered and mm-hmm. money's already in your Venmo account before you even cut it or, right. you know, whatever. So right. that's, right. I like that. I like that. Let's not change that. Let's stick with that. That's better for everybody. Um, I think we stick with that because yeah. then everybody is paid for before they pick it up. Um, and I've had zero problem. I've all, I've used Square for years and years and years. And so I send square invoices or I did it with a, a contact free chip, chip yeah. card reader. Mm-hmm. And I have zero problem with people paying their invoices. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And that's what I've heard across everybody. I need to learn how to use Venmo. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> if you technology. have kids, in, if you have kids in college, you know how to use Venmo. So <laughs> <laughs> I need to borrow some. Of <laughs> Well, this has been so much fun, Val. I just really love learning more about what you're doing, what's happening with ASCFG members in the region. And I'm just so glad that you're part of Slow Flowers. And um, I really appreciate your involvement with our organization. And this this podcast interview has been long in coming. You've been on my list, and this this series gave me a chance oh. to reach out. Um, it's exciting to see how, how we are all learning how to be resilient and learning how to adapt and change. I think it's going to be encouraging for people to listen to this. Uh, anything I didn't ask you that you want to make sure we include, like, are you going to do workshops this year? For example, I'm curious about that. Well, thank you. Yes. We actually have workshops that are um, not full at this point, but scheduled for late July and then also August, and then our big flower school in November. Mm. So we will see what's going to happen here in July, um, because it's the it's it's like the twenty third, twenty sixth. Yeah. So we've got you know ways for that, but we're you know we still have them right now. Um, so we'll wait and see what happens. The one thing I wanted to mention, which is a surprise to me with the ASCFG, is that we continue to get new members every month. And I was told uh, just last week by the executive director that we've had people rejoining who had let their memberships lapsed for, you know, a couple of years. Now they've jumped back in. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but I think it's, um, you know, it's, maybe it's just that optimism. <laughs> well, I think it, yeah, I'm experiencing that with Slow Flowers too. I mean, I couldn't believe that we had more m- new members and renewals in 
April, then in March, and in May, then in April. I, I totally expected wow. it, things to go in the opposite wow. direction. But I do think that we're seeing this resurgence of um, like Johnny Seeds getting, you know, people panic buying seeds because they want to start growing again. Like I yeah. heard that story from them. And so I think maybe if someone had been a member of ASCFG in the past, then maybe this is the time, like you were saying, like there's a little bit of downtime or there was in earlier spring to maybe right. re reconsider how you would start your business over again with a whole new approach. And you know, getting more people to grow food and flowers is a, such a good thing. So we don't maybe we don't have yeah. to rely on you know um, long distance uh, perishable products. So I I'm right. I'm encouraged with with hearing that too. Well, will you share some photos of your flowers and uh, those bulb gardens? Sound amazing! I, I want certainly will. I'd love to I show sure those. Will. Oh, that's so great. Okay, Val, thank you so much for for sharing your story and. Um, I'm just, I hope I see you again in 2020, but it might be 2021, but we'll uh, stay in touch by following you on social media. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you this year too. Okay. Thanks, Val. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining today's conversation. Last week, I announced the establishment of a professional development fund to grow our membership of black flower farmers and florists. This is an intentional step to ensure that Slow Flowers is more representational and inclusive. I want to thank our first two contributors, Lisa Wad of Lisa Wad Botanical Artists and author Jennifer Jewell, host of the popular public radio program Cultivating Place. They've made donations to this fund. I also want to thank those of you who have nominated black candidates who we can invite to join Slow Flowers. This is exciting, and I know it will inspire others to take action to change the floral profession we love so much. Small and large efforts are tangible, and they offer more than lip service to the injustices we've witnessed for too long, injustices that have taken place for generations. I'm so encouraged by you and your efforts. So many Slow Flowers members have announced donations and campaigns of their own, to bring change to their communities. And I'm proud to see how you are speaking out and taking steps alongside my own. Let's keep it rolling forward. Our next sponsor thank you goes to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and floral designers. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. We just held our June Slow Flowers member virtual meetup last week, June 12th. It was a fabulous session devoted to American Flowers Week. Those who attended met Allison Higgins and Monica Pugh, two of the designers who created botanical couture garments for the American Flowers Week 2020 collection. We learned about their inspiration, the mechanics and techniques they employed, and how the experience was a positive one in their communities and for their brands. If you missed our virtual meetup, you can watch our replay video, which I've included the link in today's show notes. The next meetup takes place July 10th. That's a Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Mark it on your calendar. You can find the link to join in today's show notes or through other regular channels, including the link tree menu that appears in our Instagram profile at myslowflowers. 
As I mentioned last week, you'll want to mark June 24th on your calendar to join me for a virtual book launch party to celebrate the publication of our new book, Slow Flowers Journal, Volume 1. 80 Slow Flowers members are featured in its pages, and we will share a big reveal of this beautiful 128-page book published by our partners at Wildflower Media Florist Review. The all-virtual launch party and happy hour will take place at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, June 24th. And we'll welcome many special guests who appear in the pages of Slow Flowers Journal. And if you want to grab your own copy, our bookstore is open for orders. So you can find the link in today's show notes for that as well. Finally, please plan on participating in the 6th Annual American Flowers Week, June 28th through July 4th. Use your flowers to communicate a message of beauty, sustainability, wellness, and inclusion, and help us promote domestic floral agriculture across the U.S. You can find all sorts of free resources at AmericanFlowersWeek.com. For members only, you can order our red, white, and blue bouquet labels to use during the week leading up to American Flowers Week. I'll share that link in today's show notes. I hope to see you online with photos and videos and in live displays of your American flowers. Please use the hashtag American Flowers Week to help us find and highlight your talents. Our final sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 614,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.